When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. <laughs> it would be a wolf, but eh? Hello, everybody, and welcome to Wolves Fancast. My name is Matt. I'm joined by Rich, Amy, and Stu, and we are here, not reluctantly, but reliably, <laughs> to discuss Wolves' home defeat to Brighton in game week two of the Premier League. Um, before we get into the minutiae of, uh, of the fixture, welcome um, to you all. How are you all feeling after uh, yesterday's humbling uh, on behalf of the, uh, the Seagulls? <laughs> Nothing really changed because I mean I had over three goals at eleven to two, so I was strange yappy at the end because it was <laughs> death taxes losing to Brighton or any team in blue and white stripes is inevitable eight. So you might as well make a bit of money on on the side while you go. But <laughs> I think even by our ridiculous standards, going about it that way was a bit of a shock. But yeah, I'm okay. Yeah, I understand. I mean, it's one of those things you've only got to look at the reaction on social media to see there's a lot of strong opinions either way. And we'll get into the weeds with kind of looking at lineups, uh, stats, the curse that is Brighton and Hove Albion, um, and looking at kind of the the team from front to back, really, and go through whether there is a need to panic or whether actually it's still very, very early doors. But um, thank you very much for everybody tuning in. For those people that are listening and watching live, please uh, get your comments in in the chat. We'll do our very level best to get as many of them live as possible and react. So uh, get your messages in and uh, we'll get them up on screen. Thank you very much to our provider, Audi, as well, um, that helps us put this out to you guys and girls. Um, first things first, if you're not following us already on the social medias, at Wolves Fancast is the way to go. But... I wanted to first, before we get into this fixture, just get your overall feelings on how you felt post United going into this game. So, Amy, after the after the result against Man United, and I say result like we won, but it didn't really feel that at the time. It felt, you know, a positive. How did you feel going into this fixture? I think everyone felt really confident. I think after seeing that, it was kind of a better feeling than most of last season. We had more hope and we just thought, oh, we're actually going to be quite a force this season. So I think the actual, like the reality of it was just disappointing throughout. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I thought we were going to play a lot better than we did. So I don't know whether we've been humbled or whether it's just a bad day at the office. Yeah, I think that's the, that's the thing really. And we'll try and get to the bottom of that when we can. Rich, from your point of view, Going into this, knowing how well Brighton finished last season, 
and knowing how much of a bit of a limp finish it was for us at the end of last season, losing 6-0 to them as well. What were your kind of thoughts going into this fixture? Do you think it was, was, it, was did you think it was going to be more of the same? Or did you have, uh, you know, hope, as they say, I, is what kills I, you? I had, I had proper toxic, toxic positivity. <laughs> I, 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 I just full-on convinced myself that we'd ridden that dual way for the last few seasons and... Like oh we 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 suddenly find a spark. I'd 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 convince myself that you know Brighton weren't worth the hype. Genuinely, I I I kind of I I think I even did a podcast or a show um, for someone else. It might have been Anfield Rap. But I was like they're great, but they're not unbeatable. You know, they're not some <laughs> like, you know, team of force. Forgetting that we you know they are our kryptonite and. You know it, yeah. And to be fair, let, let's be fair. It, it wasn't amazing. You know, it was pretty bad on Saturday, but there were positives to it. Just our defence, you know, grumbled multiple times in the space of fifteen minutes in the second half. Um, yeah. Predominantly, so it, it, it's tough. And I don't know. You, you see the comments of Gary O'Neill afterwards, and he he has to say those things in terms of like trusting the process but part of the fears I think I had post United in terms of you know we talked about how great and attacking we were because we were confident and it has anyone else kind of got that those feelings they had when Bruno Large was in charge those first few games mm. this season where we're really swashbuckling and attacking and then he realized that we're not very good so you made us very pragmatic quite quickly. It feels a little bit deja vu to me. Is anyone mm. else getting a bit of that now? I think it, that, the element of that was going back to kind of what is the archetypal Portuguese way as opposed to anything else. And I think, you know, I'm hoping with Gary O'Neill that actually it's the case that he has faith in that process. And we'll get on to some of the uh, body language experts that apparently roam across Wolves Twitter as well um, a little later on. Um, for the benefit of those that are um, listening and watching, I should say, live, we do have a graphic that shows some of the previous history between Wolves and Brighton. And I just want to speak to Stu, our chief witch doctor slash FFP expert slash all things um, paranormal. Is there a curse <laughs> on this football club, Stuart, where we are just a boat? Well, Brighton are our bogey team and it's, we are just doomed to fail. It's not even Brighton, though, is it? I mean, you look at that. I mean, the first thing that came to my mind was that the one in, in the third, the 8th of February 2003, the year we won in the playoffs, and we got battered by them 4 1 at the With Dean. And they, they were shit. I'm pretty sure they got relegated that year as well. But it's not just Brighton, is it? It's the other Albion, the shitter Albion. It's Huddersfield Town, of all teams. Fucking Huddersfield Town. And look at what Forest are playing in this season. They're awake it. Oh, it's blue and white stripes. Oh, what a surprise. What's going to happen there? It just doesn't make any sense. And you can go on 11v11, where I got this, this graphic from, and you can type it in, and you look at our record against Huddersfield, you look at our record against Albion, it's exactly the same as this. It's like... I know all teams have these weird kind of bogey sides that, like, like again, mentioning too much here. Um, them lot going to Stoke. You know, they couldn't win at Stoke away for years on end for no reason at all. 
but we seem to have a, a bogey colour, which is even more peculiar. And Brighton have been beating us and thwarting our, our tries for years on end, even before they were good. So the fact that we've conceded so many goals against them in, in recent times was not a surprise at all yesterday. Mm. It was just the manner of how it was going to happen. And like Rich said, I mean, it's I didn't expect anything because it's Brighton. But I did come out more positive than most, I think. Okay, fair. Well, let's have a look at uh, the lineup and what we thought going in. I think most people, when it came to United game, the only criticism lineup was that Silver basically didn't start and, and Pablo Sarabia was um, faced, I wouldn't say criticism, but he was the least uh, celebrated player coming out of that United game, let's say. So Silver starts um, in this lineup, and I think pretty much vast. 95% of people were happy with that lineup. Amy, were you more or less in the same boat? Is that, is that the positive change that you would have hoped prior to the game? Well, I said last week, I was surprised Silver didn't start. Then different approach of maybe he just needs easing back into the squad and coming on as a sub. I thought Sarabia would have started based off the lineup for Man United. I thought maybe he would have started with the same lineup, but as 4-4-2. Um, but Silver starting, I didn't think was an issue again. Like you said, it was celebrated, and Sarabia was probably the least celebrated player in the lineup, which is weird because when Sarabia came on, I think it almost appeared he was one of the better players of the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you totally. We'll get on to him a little later on because he's dividing uh, the fancast group chat like the Red Sea uh, currently, but we'll get on to that a little later. Stu, from your point of view, there was talk about some kind of tactical naivety in this game from Gary O'Neill and his team around constantly trying to press this Brighton side. But from a lineup point of view, based on all the positives from the United game, it would have been suicide to have mixed it up, wouldn't it? I mean, surely it's the best lineup he could have put out given the circumstances, or should someone like Quang have come into the fold? No, I don't. I don't think the lineup was at fault. You can't you can't legislate for individual errors all over the place. When when you look at the the goals, yeah, they're they're brilliant from their point of view, and we'll get onto them anyway. But they're all mistakes, and <laughs> there's nothing to do with the, the formation on the lineup. I thought I thought bringing Fabio in was a mistake. Um, like we said on on uh, Tuesday, that there seemed to be a massive divide in people who were at Old Trafford who saw it with their own eyes over Sarabia to what came across on telly and yet he tired in the last the last 10 minutes he was on the pitch before he got subbed off but he was like we talked about the like Goody said the box midfield thing and more being more of a system player than a, a standout individual and that's kind of what was missing and the chaos kind of reigned without any kind of how do you, how'd you put it there was no kind of stability there it seemed a bit all over the place at times and you could see where they were supposed to be, but they were making silly errors. And Fabio did Fabio things. And he's he finished one, one thing off, which was more of a opportunist smash, smash and grab kind of turn and finish than having time to think about it, which we've leveled criticism over the years over him, really. Um, but yeah, I, I thought Sarabia not starting was a massive mistake. Just because we have some kind of shape when he's there, rather than anything else. Um, 
but <laughs> they don't play it until the second half anyway. Did it so? Who knows? Mm, exactly. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right there as well. Rich, from your point of view, the game starts, we get underway, and it's apparent from the off Brighton have quality, but until Matoma's goal, I think it was pretty equal. They didn't look like there was a huge gulf in quality between the two sides, and it felt very much like a continuation of some of the good things that was happening in the United game. What did you make of kind of the first, say, 15 minutes or so before Matoma trundled through to the defence at will? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, you're right. It did, it did kind of continue that positivity in terms of how Wolves were approaching the game. But I think one of the very, very clear Brighton tactics is they like to hit teams early at the start of halves, which is a pretty, you know, rudimentary but really effective tactic. You know, if you score first, you're more likely to win a football match, and they do almost try and get you pegged back quite early if they can do. And I think Wolves did quite well to, I know, always try and go toe-to-toe with them in terms of their energy levels and try and find those spaces themselves, um, which, which has got to be applauded because, I don't know, part of me thought and hoped in a way that, I don't know, they would be a bit more situational because because of how they played against Man United. I get why they did that, and I wasn't sure about how they were going to approach it against Brighton. And I think, you know, we, we, it, it's going to be very interesting, I think, in terms of, you know, Gary O'Neill as a manager, let alone as a Wolves manager, in terms of how he approaches things, to be honest. And I think one of the reasons I think maybe we did struggle is that against Man United, the game plan was almost quite simple for what Wolves needed to do and the expectations were so low the fact that we've kind of had a bit more time to work on stuff it's almost felt like this was kind of the first opportunity to see what was happening and I think that's why we sort of maybe saw a few more mistakes come through than we did against Man United I think it also helped didn't help that we were against a team who you know it when they smell blood fuck me like that they, they, they're not a team who um you know, like Wolves, who are happy with a one nil, are they? They they are just absolute sharks, and you know when when they can sense it, and it's it, it it's incredibly impressive to watch. So long as it's not against your team, to be honest. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, it was ob- it was obvious from the from the start really that Wolves were continuing this pattern of being happy to hold on to the ball and and, and carry the ball through kind of defence into attack and then attack well, into the midfield and then into the attack. But it felt like players like Lamina very quickly like would lose the ball, say, 35 yards from Wolves' own goal and then put we were put under pressure straight away. Amy, when you were watching the game in the early stages, what, what were your thoughts before the goal? You know, were you happy that we were playing and we looked like we were going to be creating chances again? But then we were losing the ball in dangerous positions and Brighton was starting to turn the screw. How were you feeling? Do you, did you think we were going to get through the half unscathed? Were you positive? Were you negative? How was it going for you at the time? Um, I wasn't actually watching the game. I watched the highlights match of the day and I had the match on while I was at work. Uh, but it sounded like we started with the same attitude that we had against United. Mm-hmm. It Very was just so. everything, everything switched after 
uh, is it Mitoma? He like ran past literally every player on the pitch of ours. I mean, who didn't he run past? I think from there, <laughs> it was just like, it was almost like a come on moment. It was like wake up. And then it was like, we had four other wake up moments, even though we did still have those um, shots like from eight Nori, Silver. It's, I think we started with the right attitude, but our heads dropped too soon. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about the Matoma goal first before we talk about the dreaded uh, XG, because Sean Crow's got a comment I want to bring up in a minute. But um, that goal, I was on comms doing um, the uh, commentary for the audio description stuff, so I commentate in the ground, and I was just describing the action it's on the far side 10 yards in front of the halfway line oh he's carrying the ball he's still carrying the ball he's into the penalty area he's to the left and i just couldn't believe what i was describing because <laughs> he just walked at will through the defense like he was just i, I don't know it was it, it was unbelievable Stu, when you were watching what was going through your head when you saw him just bundle through not even really at pace just at will it was so frustrating He's just, I think we have to do kind of, without blaming everyone, we do have to kind of acknowledge how amazing he is. And here, this is not the first or the second time he's done this to us. Or it's not just a Wolves thing either. He's, he's, he's an excellent, excellent player. And like Sterling had one today against West Ham, where he ran through about four of them, just just on, on a whim. But that was running at pace, like Adama used to do. Mitomo just kind of strolled around and no one seemed to stop him. Um but even, you can even see from that graphic there, if you bring it back up, just look at the, the gaping hole. I mean, Semedo gets rinsed by him every time. But then you look you look where he is, and you surely have enough bodies there to come and cover and just just take him out and not kill him in the penalty area and pull him down and get sent off or whatever. That would have been silly, but well, like Dawson was Dawson was the closest to him, and Dawson just backed off. He didn't engage at all. And you think, well, if you if you're going to back off against Matoma, you're going to get done. It's not like he's he's brand new at this season. We've seen him do this for a while now. Um, but in the, the day, it was a brilliant a brilliant goal from a brilliant player. And yet again, it's against us. But it's, you're right. It, it, it's always difficult when you see like such a superb goal, and you kind of have to kind of go, well, what did you do wrong? How could it be avoided? And part, you know, the purest in you goes. Just enjoy it, but then I go look where Lamina is. On that first, you know, when the ball starts, you know, he's five yards ahead of um, Jao Gomez, and you know, you can see where your centre halves are. You know, he needs to be busting a gut just to fill in that gap in the middle, regardless, just to just to plug it in anyway. Because you know, Craig Dawson's, you know, not exactly the quickest man on the earth, and just like little things like that, it just it felt like we were down to nine men mm. and they, they, he just had that extra bit of space just to work his magic. And, you know, you can't fault the quality and the skill and anything like that. But I don't know, just that sense of organisation. And it's not, you know, a Max Kilman captaincy thing. And it's not even like a Craig Dawson is slow. Um, criticism. It's just like that whole kind of unit just didn't quite know how to respond in the situation that quickly. And, you know, Sonny March said after the game that they worked on it in training in terms of breaking through these 
well, massive chasms in the walls goal. Um, but it just seems like they do their homework on things like that and are, and are brave and adventurous and take those risks and, you know, frankly, let's be honest, get for rewards. Mm, I mean, there's there's quite a lot in the in the chat. Let's bring up some of the comments now. So Josh Lem um, finds it hard to blame Samedo fully. On the flip side of the coin, Martin W says uh, Samedo can't defend. Um, there's the, the other comments that are going through is so Sean Crow. Uh, after Samedo, it looked like I was watching Moses part of the Red Sea. Pretty much, pretty much spot on. To be fair, that's how it did feel um, going in. Uh, Another bearded beauty, Andy Gillard. And no, Stu's a signed-up member of Club Sar, but I think conceding four against the next G of two with last season's underperformance and his ability to pick a pass, I wonder how much the defence trusts him. So th there's a lot of blame being pointed kind of across the whole of that back line. And we'll get on to XG now and talk about it. You see there Wolves with an XG of 2.28 to Brighton's 2.38. What that spells out to me is Wolves fluff their chances and Brighton were clinically ruthless yeah. with theirs. Um, but why is none of them... Saul couldn't do anything about them goals? I don't know what, what he's... See, he's been watching Symphony Number no. 1, eh? He's got, it's gone to his head. There's nothing Saul could do about any of them. It's I, I know his, his kicking was shocking, but like someone... I can't remember who... It might have been Gully. Someone mentioned this in um, as well. It, yeah, I think it was Gully on, on Twitter. But how ridiculous some of the fans in the South Bank are um, whenever the ball is in the six-yard box, in our own six-yard box. It's like, like the, if they want to have aneurysms, then fine, go ahead. But you look at the difference, you look at Steele for Brighton, and he was receiving the ball from a goal kick and just standing around and waiting. There was no urgency. There was no, like, okay, the whole world's going to end. People need to, you'd think after after all these years in the Premier League and how things have evolved, people need to start getting educated about this stuff because it doesn't help when your own supporters behind the goal are on edge every time you get the ball, even when there's no pressure on you. You think, well, what chance has anyone got? And Saar played perfectly well in the first season he was here when he was doing this stuff as well. We all knew he's got, he's got mad stuff in him, but I've got no idea how anyone could put any blame on him for this. I know you're a you're a paid up member of the oh, club. Any, 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 but I would I would be the first to slag him off as as you all know. Um, but he was he was not helpful for any of them. And Samedo mm. maybe maybe one and a half, but not all of them. I, I I thought some of the narrative about Saar in yesterday's criticism has been slightly into the realms of the ridiculous. To be honest, um, he's been put in a position where the ball has floated around the six-yard box so many times that with opportunities to be cleared that it's it's laughable, really. We'll come on to the defence in a little bit of a deep dive later on. I want to talk about, as we had the XG graphic up, I'm talking about some of the wasted chances from Wolves. Now, from the, from the United game and this game, and uh, Rich, you're exactly right, it does kind of echo some of the Bruno Large first few games of the season under his tenure. Um, but Wolves are creating plenty of chances. Amy, from, from your point of view, where do you lie on this as an issue? Is it a good thing? We're creating loads of chances. It will come. It's just a case of when it comes. Or is it a case of you spurn so many chances, you don't score, and your defence is 
you know, unstable, it's a recipe for disaster. Where whereabouts are you on absolute elation at this or depressed, never want to come to Molyneux, you throwing your season ticket away? I'm not really on either end of the spectrum. I'm very much in the middle. I think if you compare it to how it was in Large's last few months, where we just physically couldn't score, nobody, it looked like no one wanted to shoot. Nobody wanted to an attempt on goal, nothing. We're actually now having those chances. So you can see the dynamic there. And it's not like we haven't scored a goal. I mean, there was Huang. I know it's we didn't score any against United. It's only one which was Huang and it was a header. But no one could say his goal wasn't good. I mean, I still think Cunha will be a good player for us this year. I don't think there's any doubt in it. It's just yesterday... I think the Man United game got to our head a bit and we just need to take a step back and be like, rather than rave on about that, step forward, carry on, do the same again. Um, but it's... I think it's an improvement, obviously, from where we were with Large, but we do need... It's still a big issue, the fact we're not scoring every game. But again, like you said, we are having those attempts on goal. Mm-hmm. I mean, Silver did score, he was just in an offside position. So I think it's only a matter of time before he sees the back of the net. But yeah, if we're going yeah, to have like two or three more games and we don't score, then we're going to have a massive issue. And well, you, you could go back to... Because if you look at the who were the, the, the main team who were... XG bridesmaids for years on end, and it was it was Brighton under Potter when Gully was getting overexcited about them every now and again, and Solly Marsh was at fault as anyone back then, and it's then you look at them then to now they still play a similar kind of brand of football, but they now can score, and it took them God knows how long and a few extra players obviously, but still they played their way through it and eventually clicked. For us, we've gone from creating fuck all, and then when we did have a chance, wasting it away, to creating lows yesterday. And then, like Amy listed off, you could, you got Fabio, you've got Neto blazing over the bar, you've got Aidenuri blazing over the bar from, from decent enough angles, and the bar itself being hit twice and all this stuff. And you think, well, if you take that, if you take the calamities away and their clinical finishing... That's a good performance. But mm. you, people will... I mean, there's a bell end in front of me. I've mentioned him last season. As soon as the, he did the same against Leeds last season, as soon as the third went in and started arguing with everyone, as soon as the fourth went in, he was up out of his chair, slagging everyone off. I thought, well, yeah, obviously you can be pissed off and annoyed and everyone go in the moon at, at quarter past four, which is what they did. Um, but the performance itself was decent. It was just <laughs> calamitous errors that screwed us over. I think the um, I think the XG stuff can be a bit of a misnomer, to, in, in some circumstances because it is done on that aggregate level. So if you're having lots of half chances, so to speak, yeah, it's going to rack up. But you've also got the eye test as well, which is frankly what what's important, isn't it? And you're right, Stu. We had, you know, four really good chances that game. Hmm. Um. You know, admittedly, you know, uh, Bakuna won from the corner, was it? We scored in the corner immediately afterwards. 
you know, you've got Silver's one-on-one chance. You've arguably got his offside one as well. You've got the eight and all you want, and you've got Huang's goal. And on a good day, converting one of those, get you know, you frankly going to get a good result, to be honest, with it being on such low margins. But I think it will come. The, the big question is whether they can continue to commit to get into those positions. You know, on another day, Silver scores that one-on-one for me. Or he hopefully learns next time to, I know, open up his body more and go the other side instead of going for a near post finish, which I think personally is the wrong way to go. Mm. And it's and it's really tricky because you look at it on paper and you go, actually, you know, you look at the XG and, okay, I, I mean, the graphic we threw up on YouTube, there's a couple of vary, varying models in terms of what score you get. But it does sort of rack walls of expecting us to get two goals in that game. And it doesn't rank Brighton getting four. It either gets them getting two or it's getting three, which was probably fair fair bounce. But it's really frustrating when you kind of see it time and time again. But for me, it's like, you know, their left back scored a goal. Our left back could have scored a goal. For me, relatively similar pattern of play in terms of what it was in terms of breaking through you know what we were doing going forwards wasn't the big issue in this game it was those individual errors as you kind of talked about it for, for that second half collapse where we just could could not hold it together and then you know particularly you know, if you can see one to then can see two like you know, at some point, you know, a grown-up's got to take, you know, charge of the steering wheel. And it felt like they were, you know, we were just, you know, adultless um, mm. to a degree. And I think that that that's a bit that kind of frustrated me. But, you know, going into half-time, I was, I, I was back on my pos- po- positive toxicity levels there. Yeah, I was same. Happy, you know what? No, we, we keep going at this. We will break them down. This is a team who are who, you know, are get-at-able. Yeah. Um, well, let's uh, use that pretty well-timed segue to give everybody uh, a little bit of a breather. We'll have a quick break. And for those that are listening uh, after the fact, listening on a podcast, give you a chance to have a little pause, grab yourself a drink or anything you're going to do. In the second half of this podcast, let's hope it's not a calamitous uh, downfall like Wolves <laughs> in the second half, uh, where we will discuss kind of some of those individual errors. Um, the... Curious case of Daniel Pedence and a bit of Twitter. This is an advertisement from BetterHelp Therapy Online. We all carry different stresses, big and small. It could be from work, stuff going on at home, or just from supporting a football team. You flatter to deceive, and as the bedsheets have always said, let us down. We often bottle up these stresses and try and keep a lid on them, but when you do that, it can start to affect you negatively. That's where therapy comes in. It gives you a place to get these things off your chest, get down to root cause and figure out how to work through what's weighing you down. Therapy is there to help develop positive uh, coping skills. It's not just for people who have experienced major trauma. It's about empowering you to be the best version of yourself. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not look and give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online, developing be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. With over a thousand therapists in the UK already, 
better help can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Our listeners can get 10% off their first month using the code betterhelp.com slash wanderers. That's better, H-E-L-P dot com slash wanderers. Let's get back to the show. But for now, grab yourself a quick refreshment and we'll be back with you very, very shortly. Welcome back, everybody, to Wolves Fancast. And as we said before the break, we're going to discuss some of those individual errors uh, now in the game. And we'll leave the... Uh, we'll just go for a little entree, really, at the moment, a little moose boots, and we'll talk about the forward line at first now. There's some of those mischances that we discussed, and then we'll work our way back to that calamitous defence for the the uh, for the meaty finish. Um, the, the front line were wasteful as we've mentioned there were multiple chances and i i felt against united especially that gone with a it felt like gone was that feeling that they always needed to be that extra touch or they needed to be that thinking about it first it felt more instinctive some of the chances that were created but the game against brighton i felt we took a bit of a backwards step it felt like there was a bit more nervousness. Maybe it's the crowd side of things. And I do call to all people on Wolves, <laughs> Twitter and everybody else, for some patience and calm when it comes to young Don Fabio as well, because some of the takes already are... <laughs> they're, they're, they're abysmal. I've got to put that out there. Um, let's start with Neto. Didn't have anywhere near the impact that he had um, against United in this game. And Stu, you're going to tell me why, because positionally he wasn't given... Anywhere near as much of a chance, was he? No. And uh, I'm not the only one either who I don't like him playing on the right. It just doesn't work. He, he can't he can't cross with his right foot. He can't shoot. with his, He can't do anything with his right foot, can he? So every every time he has to cut back, and every time you do that, you, you lose a bit of something up front when you're trying to cross the ball in. And you can't be cur- cutting back inside and curling things into the far post. Every now and again, which he doesn't do anyway, and he's never. We've talked about it before, haven't we? He's never been the same since that injury. Which, fair enough, it'd be a miracle if he was, but he's nowhere near. He's absolutely nowhere near. And like Amy said, when Sarabia came on, he was showed up. And yeah, people might hate Sarabia for for whatever reason, but he's got an assist already. <laughs> it might be straight from a corner, but it's an assist. And you think, well, yeah, Neto is. is Family about a bit, blazed well over the bar, sulked. Yeah, he hasn't got the ball a couple of times for when when a few have ran through the middle, but still, he he hasn't produced again. <laughs> and I I just don't see what how he's going to get better when we've seen no improvement for a long, long time from him. Hmm. Um. Uh, I don't know if I agree to the to the level. I mean. He was one of the more exciting and expansive players in the United game. And I think he was part of... A, a, he was one of the cogs of the machine that was all of the positives. He was just one of the cogs of the machine that was part of the negatives in this game. And it's apple and oranges, and personally. Um, Amy, you, you mentioned Fabio Silva and you mentioned um, the chance that... that um, well, the goal that wasn't. But he also missed a pretty... I don't listen, I've played at the charity game at Molyneux twice... I can't get from the one goal to the other, much less <laughs> try and run up and down and try and create chances. But, um, you know, he missed what a lot would describe as like a routine one-on-one. I personally thought he 
he thought he was offside. He looked immediately to the um, to the linesman when he missed the chance. Whether that's just just to spare his embarrassment, I don't know. But you know, do you think he should have been should have done better with his chances, or is it just a case of again just a bad day at the office for a player that will come into form? I think he will eventually come into form. Um, he definitely should have scored that. I mean, the position, how close he was, the fact it's one on one, you kind of think, come on. Like, but then he had previously scored a goal which was offside. So you can see why he'd be nervous looking at the linesman. But I mean, my perspective, don't look at the linesman, the linesman looks at you. But all players mm -hmm. do it anyway. Um, but again, it is that bit of confidence, I think, behind the ball. I mean, starting as well. You've got to think, he probably feels so intimidated because now he's probably got the pressure of everyone at Molyneux knows that he's played well at the clubs he's been on loan to. So now he's kind of like, I've got to meet the same standard despite the Premier League being a tougher league. But, I mean, he should have scored that. Looking at it again and again and again, you kind of think, what, why? But I think he took his time. It should have just been straight through. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And Rich finished off the, the front line there. You know, Cunha's performance during the game didn't get a ton of kind of like those one-on-one -on -one chances carried the ball as he did against United. But again, another cog in the machine where it didn't really click. Where where do you, you know, fans were calling out for him to kind of sit behind Silver and be the creative spark for him. How, you know, how did you feel he got on from, from your point of view? Fine. Which is, mm. you know, the perfect adjective to describe anything, isn't it? Um, it you're right. He, he is a cog in a wheel and... Uh, the Cogs didn't have a have a great day. I think it it probably harks back to if we're being brutally honest, it's been something that's brought up time and time again. If we're looking for goals, historically these aren't the players to do it. But if, if you know we're expecting Mateus Kuna to get us fifteen goals, we're expecting Fabio Silva, if we're expecting Pedro Neto, if we're expecting Frank to, um, you know, the, these players don't historically score goals. We are kind of expecting an improvement to happen in, in one way or another. And, you know, Br Brighton might just be this weird one in a million chance where they actually invested in coaching and improving players to finish chances, I guess. And I, I, mean, I like him. I really do. I think it's kind of twofold, though. So I think you, we've got to work out a system that suits both Mateus Kuna and Fabio Silva. Now, I think they both operate best in a central position. Whether that's in a two up front, one behind the other, whatever. I think they both naturally suit a game where they are in the middle of the park more. Point is, my point is, where am I going with this? I'm going somewhere with it. But yeah, the point is, I feel a bit nihilistic when I say it, but if we do play, I don't know, we go 4-2-3-1 and we ever so slightly tweak the formation to, to make it work and we have that perfect chemistry like you get on FIFA, I don't quite know how much difference it would make. Hmm. Is that... Yeah. Is that you know what I mean? Like, and, and, and I, I really hope it does and I really like him as a player. He's such a fun player. He kind of improves those around him as well. He drags the game forward like Frankly, no one else has done in the last eight months for Wolves. He isn't a huge 
goal scorer though. No. And Don't. I think if that's what we're expecting from him, we need to rail in those expectations more than you know more than ever. I think a, a four-two-three-one with either Cunha or Fabio there would be ideal if you play if you're playing Sasha as the number one, the only player in the entire squad who scores goals and has a history of scoring goals. He, he, but he's broken. And also, he, I was going to say he's a one-season wonder. Yeah. Effectively, and again, I, 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 yeah, it's like you know, hardly controversial to like you know, oh, what we need is a twenty goal a season. Yeah, so it's <laughs> fucking neat. They don't exactly grow on trees, but well, it's a ten goal a season strike would be all right. Just, just can we get someone to get us to double figures? That's all <laughs> I ask. And you know, potentially Gary O'Neill's the guy who can get that out of him. Fabio Silva takes that next developmental leap. You know, Pedro Neto. Uh, I guess looping back to him as well. Maybe he finds a bit of form. He finds that confidence in himself the same way Solly Marsh does, or you know, um, Sarabia realizes he can just ghost in at the back post, which is where if I was him, I'd be going nine times out of ten. It, it's frustrating for a wider point when you look at that collective attacking unit. The you know, they clearly have a level of technical and tactical ability because we're creating great chances. You know, for Freight Norris chance, for example, they've all had to work to create that opportunity. Obviously, he's had to do for run and whatever, but we've had to link up. They've, those attacks have had to link up the play. Just, I don't know when it's all going to click in terms of mm. game. It, it might be on Saturday against Everton and, you know, who dredges at the bottom and like we kind of push them further down in the swamp. I don't know. And I'm missing out Huang as well, who actually has got an eye for a goal, to be fair. Yeah, well, let's move it back to the midfield then because, well, <laughs> Mateus has given us the opportunity to... Uh, well, he's given Gary O'Neill one less of a headache in terms of selection because he's ruled himself out of... Um, the fixture against Everton for what can only be described as a moment of absolute lunacy. And not only has, get that, you know, where's that batter? You've let us down again. But he's let his teammates down there, isn't it? I mean, I know there was nothing to play for in the game. We're never going to come back at this point. But going into that game against Everton, which if you looked at saw Everton today, is actually <laughs> extremely winnable. You just you want your absolute best players in that game, and he's put himself in a position where he is completely by choice weakened the team, and I'm I'm struggling <coughs> to understand how there hasn't been an uproar of criticism from Twitter when some portions of of the internet. And I know that Twitter's just a mic; it's not representative of everybody, but people would much rather criticise some of the players who uh, are trying and. Other podcasts would give the man of the match to <laughs> the Mateus for getting sent off in, in, in this fashion. I just don't understand it. Someone make it make sense to me, please. Like Stu, from your point of view, you you know, you've you're old enough and ugly enough to have seen it all. From this point, you've got to be pissing blood at this, surely. <laughs> I just laughed. Um, it's it's this bit. Do we see it on this video or is it later? It's where he does the uh, the full on. Oh no, he's, no it's I, it's I, it's I, just I, after that. It's where he goes the full like two a.m. Come on then, <laughs> two of so this pub where someone's bumping into you because you've been it's kicking out time, and he, he he throws the arms up and you think, what are you doing? 
It's the thing. What, what, what are you doing? And you are right, mate. I mean, if say if this had been Samado who'd done this, Andy would be straight on the phone. Andy would be right there. And if anyone, there's there's certain players in this team that get bollocked wherever they do. Talking about Samado from Monday night, nine out of ten, brilliant. Yesterday he one and a half mistakes. Shit, drop him, drop him immediately. Bring Doc back. It's so bipolar. It's un- unreal. But this is unforgivable. <laughs> it's so, it's so ridiculous, and yet he was frustrated. The twelve thousand or so who was left in the ground were frustrated, but he didn't start pushing everyone around. He's just completely lost his head, and there's no excuse for it. And the fact that he st- he was still arguing and did a sarky little clap at the ref as well as he was being sent off, that you could have gone done again. And. He's, it's not the first time he's, he's kind of lost it either. He's, he's had form for this, and we've kind of got away with it in the past. But what's he done now? He's, he's left the door open for Joe Hodge or, or Baby Cartwright to come in because that's what's going to happen. And then we're going to go to Everton and be Steely in the middle. And, oh, we don't give up as many chances. And if we do, Everton is shit. So it might not matter. What happens then? He's not going to get his place automatically back. And he's got this on himself to blame. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Amy, from your point of view, the, the, the you know, getting yourself sent off in that in that fashion. Listen, you're a lot younger than this elder statesman on this podcast, so you might have a different view of it. You know, where where does this lie for you in terms of the absolute worst things a footballer can do, cardinal sins, getting yourself sent off in that manner? You know, it's not like it was a, a tackle gone awry. This was completely preventable. It just seemed pointless. I mean, Bueno's in the box and he's touched the ball a few times. The ball's then gone over and he's pushed two people over, you could argue. it's. It just seems so <laughs> odd. It was just like, what are you doing? And I think, what, was it Estepanan who he pushed over like second? He was on the floor. And I think him just laughing at Nunes just summed up everyone else's reaction. It was almost like, yeah, we've kicked the ball away. We've all got yellow cards got nothing really else to lose we're winning yeah i'm gonna lie on the floor and i'm gonna laugh at you because now you're getting sent off. <laughs> it's ludicrous it's l- absolutely ludicrous what's the point what have you gained from that and then you've got like frustration but if we said frustration anybody could have done that and it would have been a different reaction imagine if bueno had done that like come off off the bench mm. or say he was yeah. starting and he did that it would be everywhere but why has he done that Oh, it's youth. It's blah blah blah. It's there was no point, and that's why it's so frustrating. Like you said, going into Everton, that we haven't got him. I mean, it does open mm-hmm. up that space for someone else to come in. Hodge would be ideal, I think. Um, but just why? <laughs> it's like oh, laughing. No, very it? much it's so. One of those where you think, oh, this is actually quite comical, and then go, ah, right. Yeah, it, it, would, it would be genuinely hilarious if uh, she was on the other foot. I think it's the fact like he could have had about three yellow cards from that little segment because he pushes over the first player, which on a certain day probably get a yellow for it. Definitely gets one for a second, and then have argy bargy afterwards as well. It's like, dude, just fucking got. I don't mind if a player, yeah, say gets sent off in. For, well, actually, I do because I think you know you should be a grown adult and control your emotions. But like <laughs> doing it because he was like chasing the ball down, and like you know he fouled someone on the halfway line trying to stop a counter attack. 
I could, I could get on board with that because he's, he's he's trying to do something for the team. At that point, he just let the worst emotions get the better of him. And it's like, there wasn't anything to play for. He didn't need to do it. He just let them, and you know, he just, I think he, you know, I think he'd lost his composure, you know, well before the 90th minute in terms of having an impact and influence on the game. But yeah, it, it, it's frustrating. You know, you hear um, Gary O'Neill's comments afterwards, and I think he's giving him a, um, a, a, a hairdryer treatment by, by the sounds of it, which, it, which is right. Because you say it's it, it's not just about that incident because it, it means nothing. We didn't lose him for any of the game. What we've done is lose him for ninety minutes against what is effectively a um, positional rival in the league. Hmm. Um, Stu, have the final say on the midfield. Um, I personally thought that Lamina had a bit of a stinker, um, hmm. as did as did Gomez. Really, I, I mentioned it at the start of the podcast that. While we're playing this kind of gung-ho, happy to carry the ball through the middle, that's, that's that's fine, providing you don't lose it 35 yards from your own goal. And we did on a multiple occasions. I have the final word on, on, on the remaining two of this midfield that we want to discuss. It wasn't a stellar performance, was it, really, from either of them? No, and I, I think Rich kind of said it well earlier, when you need an adult in there to calm everything down. And given Lamina's age, it should have been him. And he didn't step up. If anything, well, he did step up, and that was the problem. <laughs> you, if you got players like that there as a shield, then they should be doing the job and not pissing about. And Joao Gomez just was completely overexposed over and over again because the others couldn't be asked doing what they're supposed to be doing. Um, you can't really blame him; he's young. Um, but Lamina, for me, he's going to have these. You know, that everyone's going to have bad days, but it always seems to happen. When at least one has a bad day, everyone has a bad day together, mm. and these kind of madness things happen. So, no one comes out with credit. I mean, who do you even give a man of the match to? There's, is there anyone? Even though, even though, it's from the, what we said for half this podcast, that it was a decent performance other than the mistakes. Mm. But unfortunately, you can't you can't start praising people overly over the top when you've conceded four goals at home. I. Thought the ref had a good game. I thought he was pretty consistent. Hmm. Maybe give it to the yeah. uh, maybe give it to the referee. <laughs> um, I actually put just as a quick sidebar. I thought the referee handled the game really well. Um, was pretty consistent with the yellow cards that he gave out. It was, you know, I didn't think there was uh, it was it was night and day compared to the United game. But again, apples and oranges. Um, so we'll move on to the real the real horror show, which which was the, with the defense. Um, the defense was well. Let's start with Dawson because, you know, a lot has been said, United especially, about how he was there, calm at the back, mopped up, allowed Samado to do the things that he was was able to do. But, you know, Dawson was really shown, showed his, you know, for his age and his lack of mobility in this game. But also, is there an element of tactical naivety about it as well, Stu, that he was constantly pressing and then having to bust the gut to come back. Maybe it was that a directive from the manager? I don't know. But I, for the first time that I can really think of in the shirt, I felt he really was was caught out, not, not necessarily by his age, but by his physical limitations. Yeah. And this, but the problem being, this same thing happened in April <laughs> at their place. 
and when everyone everyone blames Samada that day, but he was effectively playing as, a, as like a what a winger, but in a back four, it was mental, and everyone was out of position. And this game, it seemed that it was Dawson who was the the one given license to round forward, which. Two different managers, two different approaches against the same opposition, and you have the same same results. And yeah, it doesn't seem anything other than tactical for why he was so high all the time. Mm. But again, why why would you do that when you've got players like they have who can rip you apart at will? Yeah, and I don't I don't see what difference playing a high defensive line makes to carrying the ball through the middle like we have been like with Cunha and like with. Matthias and Fabio as well. It just odd. But again, would we would we created them chances if we were playing slightly deeper? Probably because of the look how they came. Well, I mean, a lot of the game plan and it felt in this game was just sending hail marys over the top. So you you felt <laughs> that could have been done from anywhere on the pitch. Not you know what I mean. It wasn't like passing short passes, fluid like we saw from the Spanish women's team today by any stretch of the imagination. Um, Paul. You, we on this podcast are here to merely serve you. So let's call out Kilman. Well, let's let's do it, Paul. Why not? I feel there are two ends to the spectrum of here, and we're going to go to Amy first, and then to Rich, because I think Amy, I think you're pretty. Are you pretty pro Kilman? I'm sure you mentioned that you met him the other day, or um, where you know Kilman is captain. Where where do you lie with this? People have talked about like a lack of leadership. And the way that they came out the tunnel in the second half was apparently, from a body language point of view, was really negative. Where do you lie as with Kilman on on terms of his him as a captain? I think captain uh, as cap. That's completely gone out the window. Um, I think with Kilman, he learned a lot of what he knows now from coding. I think with Cody, and when we had safes, we had a fantastic back three. And I think Kilman was at his highest there. And then one day just absolutely flipped. And then it was like consistent for a few games where he wasn't playing well. And I think obviously Cody going, we brought new people in, Sace has gone. And him and Dawson, I think, work well because you've got one who's younger and who's got speed and one who's got experience. And I think with Kilman being captain, it's probably... It should ideally give him a confidence boost. It should mm. be like, right, you've got an opportunity here, step up. Instead, I think it's almost like he's still relying on other people to kind of decide where they go in and what they're, what they're doing, not speaking as much as maybe he could do. With Cody, you would see him raving his arms up in the, in the air, shouting at everyone. You don't see that from Kilman. I know he's only had two yeah. games where we've had proper games. But you kind of think you should be starting it from the off. You should mm -hmm. be going after it. And I think it will just take some time for him to get used to it. But he's, I mean, he's his mid-twenties. He's not like a young player. and He's not an old player. He's just in the middle. But I think maybe Dawson would have been a better fit. But then again, after the performance yesterday, I beg to differ. Um, mm, yeah. But I think, yeah, I I think give him a few more games, you might see more of him being a captain well rich from your point of view you know when when i when i think of kilman as speed i do think yeah he is the quicker player in the same way that you know 20 shopping trolleys going downhill are pretty quick <laughs> but don't have the mobility to match um what, what were your thoughts on kind of 
Kilman in the, in in this game, and in terms of how much at fault was he for the collapse that we had in that 10, 15 minute window compared to some of the other players on the pitch? I mean, he, he was definitely accountable. Um, I think Amy sort of touched on it for me. I mean, I, I, I don't put a big onus on needing a shouty captain. I think there's different leadership styles. And I think you look at certain captains throughout the years and, you know, you know, whether you look at like recent years or decades, you don't necessarily need to be that tub thumping vocal person. However, you need your senior players to lead by example. Of the, you know, and for me, I think that's what Kilman brings to the table for me in terms of what he does. But by and large, he's a pretty consistent player. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of time, he isn't someone who makes really glaringly sloppy errors. There's no, he doesn't do lots of you know short back passes and things like that. He is a quite a consistent player who I think, as a player or as a teammate, you can look to and go. Actually, if he's doing his job, I can do my job. But if the chips are down, you need he needs to make sure he is standing tall above everybody else with his performance if that's the case he can't just be another player and unfortunately if you've got that armband on you that there is a level of expectation in terms of what you should be doing in those situations you know i i i've seen i was gonna say anti-liverpool fans not you know and you know will criticize virgil van dyke for you know doing lots of the shouty clappy stuff but sometimes do kind of need somebody to do that and to actually G those guys up and it's fine if 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 Kilman's captain and not doing that that's fine but you need at least somebody else doing it and you know that that's, that team is has got experience you say beyond Craig Dawson who's as old as time Nelson Samato is an experienced professional Mario Lamina's in front of him and you're right that there, there are players there who should be helping you know i don't quite know who's in it but they've got a leadership team what mm. it? council i don't I can't quite remember what they're they're calling it to be honest but those those are the players who do need to kind of pull things together so yeah he is responsible and accountable for some of those i mean it, it, it's a systematic breakdown and unfortunately we don't play five at the back anymore. I say, unfortunately, however you want to look at it, because your five at your back covers some of those errors in terms of plugging in those gaps. And it helps when you've got someone like Cody, who's known for his organisational uh, um, vocalisation. And the problem is with Cody, you know, looking back to someone who's now left the club, I appreciate, you know, when he wasn't doing that and we were still disorganised as fuck, what's he bringing to the table? At least when at least when Kilman's doing it, he, he's potentially bringing more to the table as well. Um, so I think, but, yeah, go on. I will just say that this argument was not had on Tuesday when we went to Man United and no, should have battered no, them. Exactly. And the defence was brilliant on Monday night. <laughs> and yeah, you are playing against some, a, a different um, skill set, but still, he showed there that he could do it. And everyone stuck. Everyone was together. It looked like yesterday they kind of they wilted a bit 
under the pressure of playing at home. And I'm not saying that that's because of fans getting on their backs for playing out from the back and anything like that, like I said earlier. It might just be the case of, yeah, he's full-time captain at home. We're playing a certain way. We're missing chances galore. And then that happens, and then there's no way to stop the slide. And heads dropped all over the place. It wasn't just him. It was Saar as well. It was it was Lamina. And it was the it was the leadership group. Um, and I think and, that's what I find really frustrating about it. You know, I think yeah. after the third goal, where he basically just boots it straight back to them at kickoff. And at that point, it is just so frustrating because it is, you know, it is sort of basics 101 kind of stuff in terms of just, you know, you've clearly... You are, you know, you are on the assault here. You you need to kind of just bunker down, because okay, three nil's not exactly three nil's not a good scoreline. But considering how we've been playing, and I'm I'm not suggesting we'd have got three goals, but at least if we'd have kept it down to three nil and we'd have then got it back to three one, it wouldn't have felt quite so much as a consolation for me. And mm. I think just that little bit of game management and it uh, say it, it felt like we needed an adult and unfortunately Saar, Kilman, Dawson, Lamina, Semedo didn't seem to want to be that adult and it was only Sarabia who again senior player who seemed to kind of help stem that tide and bang in terms of just giving that extra dimension for the last um you know half an hour 20 minutes of the game for me hmm Okay, well, we'll move on to um, some of the final points um, of the podcast. And one of the notable absentees over the last um, few games has been uh, Daniel Pedence, who has uh, the cheeky little chap has tweeted um, that he's been playing with the under-21s. Uh, Gary O'Neill um, come out and said, there's no real comments on Daniel. It's about the group that are here and want to push every day to put the club in a better place than it is they're the lads I want to talk about. Amy, from your point of view, you know, Prudence has been a has cut a um, frustrating figure over the last few years. Sometimes the only player that actually sparks any kind of individual creativity, but at the, another time will do a, a Rabona, like, you know, akin to Raul Jimenez when you're 2-0 down. <laughs> as he did this weekend. Um, where do you lie on Pedence? Is it just one of those things, it's just time to let go and move on? Or will you be sad that he's uh, he's leaving the club on this bit of a whimper? I'd be pretty upset, to be fair. I think he's very much, well, not like Huang, but he's done the same as Huang. When we've needed a goal, he stepped up, like, stepped up and got us a goal, very much like Huang has done previously. Granted, it's not a lot, but when we've needed it, he's done it. And I do think he's a scrappy little player. I think he is, he's not a bad player. I don't understand why he's not being brought on as a sub or sometimes even starting. But I mean, when you don't hear from the player or see them for a lot, it's like, what's going on? And I mean, working at Compton, I, I don't know what would be going on with him. It's like, it's just weird. I don't know how we've gone from like, having him as a regular face to now just being dropped completely. I don't quite get it. Yeah. Of all of the players in that kind of bomb squad that have left and everybody was like, well, Nevers is the only one who we really missed. I, I didn't see him being one of those ones that were attached to that group, but it's a strange one. I think things at 
posts and towers are a little less. I don't, well, I don't think there's a lot of sense going on. And and actually, the Wolves owner, um, Guang Chang Gao, Guang Chang, is that? Have I butchered that? <laughs> Apologies to any of our. Guang um, Chang. Wogan Chang, thank you. Uh, we're in attendance in, uh, you know, looks like he's been in the Sports Direct sale on that uh, photo there, geared up to the nines with all of the um, the regalia that could get his hands on. Um, a, a lot of the online presence in for Wolves were calling for a little bit more, uh, a little less conversation, a little more action, please, <laughs> at the ground. Where it actually felt like that Foson and and the board kind of got away with bloody murder when it was kind of a bit of a tame atmosphere. Do you buy that, Stu? Do you think having him there was a good thing? What, what what's your stance on this? It's his club. He can do what he wants. <laughs> I'm amazed that I'm um, fair play to him. I, I didn't think they'd be there. Um, I know that they um, they said that Jeff would be back for the end of the month, um, but I didn't think Bossman would turn up as well. But again. Oh, there was all there was people on on Twitter over the summer, and yes, hello Russ, um, calling for them to be hung, drawn, and quartered for what they've done and what they haven't done, and it's never going to happen. You might have got this against Barnsley like five years ago, but when you put the prices up so much, you price out a certain a certain type of person who's going to kick off. That person is not going to sit there, pay the seven hundred quid. Eat this stupid overpriced pies, which we're going to get to soon. Um, and then going to get moan at people who've... Look what they've done for us, people. Look what they've done. There's too many people like that to cause a, cause chaos. And especially on the second game, first game, home game of the season, second game overall. It's never going to happen. I don't know what these people are on. <laughs> it's just... It's, it's another indication where Twitter is not the real world. And I didn't even go on yesterday. I just came, I just came home, watched the football, went to bed. Didn't see a single thing. Uh, and I woke up this morning, had a quick look and just had a little giggle to myself because this is what X do to you. Keep away. Mm. Well, let's talk about the real the real issue in the room here and that is the pies. And that takes us on to Twitter Corner where um, we've got a few questions um, from, the, uh, from the subscribers on Twitter. This will be... Um, well, Stu, let's address the elephant in the room. We'll do a question each. Could you confirm the news we all feared? New pie supplier and no chicken balti on the menu. Calm things down, Stu. Give, give the people so, what they need. You, you're calling me the elephant in the room and talking about pies at the same time. Is this, is this an attack? Um, so basically, basically uh, uh, it seems that for in the North and South Bank that you, they have this tandoori chicken pie as a new thing. Um which is four fifty. When I went to go in the steeple upper yesterday, in the big path, the big kiosk in the middle of the, the upper tier, was not. It was not there. It was another company called Pytanic, um, and they were selling Black Country Balti Chicken Pie at five pound seventy five. <laughs> the queue was not very big, and there's probably a reason for that. And five seventy five for a bacon cheeseburger pie. Steak and ale pie and a curry potato and spinach pie, all five seventy five from this new bespoke wanky company that you'd expect. Some if you if like Brighton away where they do like like special ones, you expect it from that kind of place. But as we've said before, we are in Wolverhampton. You can't be charging people nearly six quid for a for a pie that's been rebranded. 
I was starving, so I had no choice but to go for the, the tandoori chicky pie. And it wasn't very nice. So now, I mean, I am a, a pie connoisseur, obviously, looking at me. I'm not going to have one now. Simple as. So that's, that's, I know that's big wow. That's 450 less they get every two weeks. But if the queues were anything to go by, they're not going to get any money from a lot of people. So I don't see what they're doing. Like Whoever the market research is, they're looking at the wrong people. Because no one in their right mind is going to pay £6 for a pie that you can hold in one hand when you can get a full donut and chips for the, the same cost later on. Wow. I never knew that I needed that opinion as much as I did. <laughs> um, no, I, I, I needed that opinion. On no, Sunday exactly. night, I'll be honest. <laughs> um, thank you for that. So, on the, to um, to wrap up the Twitter corner, let's have a look at the last couple of questions um, that we've got here. So, um, Amy, let's go for you at the moment. Um, do you have to talk about this? Can't we just forget it? Have a chat about your favourite ways to eat a potato. Do you have a potato uh, of choice, Amy? Just uh, so the listeners can get to know you a bit better. Can't go wrong with orange chips, can you? <laughs> Why not just serve them? Good answer. Right. Oh, that, that is a good answer. I, I was, I was, I, I, I've been wondering since this question came in how you're going to answer it. It's just a pro. perfect pro. <laughs> but, oh, well, I mean, I went. I walked into the Mac's I walked, um, oh, no, I went to the Wolves Luton friendly and I had one of the pies and I presume it was a tandoori chicken because I still asked for a chicken ball tea and got this pie. And I think I like took, I looked at it, I was like, that's a lot of pastry. And then like kind of took, stabbed it a bit. And then there was just the chicken in the middle. And I was like, the fuck is that? Looks like it's already been eaten. And then it didn't taste good either. You could probably find something better in the bin in Asda opposite. Honestly, I've never been so heartbroken. Do you know how long I'd waited to get have a chicken balti pie again? Had them religiously every single game to have that. I was more heartbroken by that than the game. As a as a vegetarian, this actually shit. cheers me up that people aren't, aren't enjoying them anymore. And I don't I don't feel like I'm missing out anymore. Um, and finally, Rich, we'll we'll give the last uh, question of this to you. Can you confirm? Oh, sorry, I was always under the impression Collins was sold because of pressure from Foson. Was uh, was Lopetegui behind it? Twenty two million will look more and uh, and more ridiculous. No, so Brentford fans are out in force discussing how great he is. Can't believe they let us go. Is this a sense of seller's remorse from you or is it just a case of it's just the wolves way to let go of uh, a prize pig when um, we thought actually they were just shit i mean it, it, it's a terrible transfer over the last 13 14 months to sign him for 18 to then sell him for 20 or whatever it was 20 or 22 it, 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 it's really bad business you know particularly when it's very clear he was sold because Lopetegui didn't rate him because you see all the, um, the, the, the press release of um, good old Matt Hobsey saying, you know, he's going to be a world-class defender, but we've sold him anyway for a £2 million profit. <laughs> like, if, if he's that good, we're not selling him for that margin. It, it was my kind of focus at the time, and, you know... I'm treading over old ground and frankly things I've repeated previously if you look through our wonderful YouTube short collection now um, but you know I think Collins has got a very high ceiling and a very low floor 
in terms of his game. And he needs a manager who can bring that floor up. And I think potentially playing the formation they do at Brentford will suit that. When you compare it to the fact that what we were potentially offered 35 million from Napoli for Max Kilman. And you, you look, you know, if we if Wolves are working on a profit margin basis, I don't quite know why they'd have gone. Oh, let's go. For, let, let's sell Collins then. Apart from maybe the market wasn't there. I also think with my, I've, I've decided to go full Stu Hall on this one, Matt. So forgive me because we're seven minutes into this. Do you think the whole Max Kilman Napoli link was a sort of manoeuvring to secure new contract and captaincy? Um, I don't do give them enough credit. Time. I don't give them enough credit what, to have the nous to do that. To be what, honest, Max Kilman's uh, management team. Yeah, I'm. I'm not sure that. I think this is more of like a Harry Kane's one. Harry Kane's agent being his brother, one client. So no, I don't think enough thoughts in the background for that. To be honest, but no, I, um, I was going with, with with Collins. I I I I think it's a pretty disastrous kind of whatever happens because. He basically came on loan to Wolves, effectively, and we paid his wages for a year. Mm. And f- from from that perspective, why have we sold him, considering we, we lost the manager four weeks later? And, yeah, you know, I, I, yeah. And it, it just goes back to a whole lack of synchronisation at the club between the management and the coaching staff to the backroom, um, back office people. Yeah. Okay. Well, listen, we've got a game against Everton coming up, which I think is very, very winnable. And you can uh, listen to the preview show and watch along live the preview show on Wolves Fancast later in the week. And we'll put some tweets out and uh, give you more information on that. But in order for you to get that, you need to be subscribed across the social platforms. That includes TikTok. Yes, this the average age of the Fancastian might be high, but we are on TikTok, believe it or not. Um, TikTok, Instagram... Facebook, Twitter, at Wolves Fancast to get all the information. I want to thank uh, Audi, our podcast provider, as well, for giving us the platform to do so. But more importantly, thank you, the listeners and viewers, for getting in touch with us and listening to this. We hope you've enjoyed it. Um, plenty of this to go this season. Only have two games in. And uh, make sure that you are subscribed and have your notifications on to get everything on this channel because there is a lot of content to come. Well, for myself, Matt, Rich, Amy and Stu, Thank you, everybody, for listening along today. Hopefully, we absolutely smash Everton and we can have a bit more of a a laugh about it uh, come the next podcast. But for now, bye from everybody involved. Have a great week ahead and see you next time.